0: Welcome to the mini-brick, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world today is Sunday, July 30th. Anytime you have six different events to monitor throughout the course of a championship weekend, you just know as a tennis fan, things are going to get chaotic, things are going to get funky, but perhaps most importantly, there will be plenty of entertainment for you to enjoy. And that certainly was the case throughout the course of another jam-packed weekend in the tennis world. What I want to do on today's show for all of you tennis fans, of course, is catch you up in case you justifiably missed out on any of the action. It was just one of those weeks. In the tennis world. Any sort of storyline you were looking for, you were offered by one of these events, whether it's a look for the next rising stars in the tennis world. I talked about it all last week on this podcast, but late July offers so many different opportunities for those ascending players, whether you're someone 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, either A, being offered a wild card into a home event, or B, you're a player, you know, somewhere sandwiched between 75 and even 150 in the rankings you're just going to have opportunities to at the very least get into qualifying if not get into the main draw of these tour level events and of course this past week we saw so many young players capitalize on those opportunities whether it's Arthur Fee, Luca van Assche in Hamburg obviously what Nohanoma Noma Okugwe did in Hamburg to see what Dino Prismic, the 2023 Junior French Open champion, 17-year-old, reached his first quarterfinal in Croatia. want to offer my final thoughts on all of those teenagers, where I think each of them go, at least in the immediate future. And, yeah, I'm sure some big-picture thoughts on each of those players will leak out throughout the course of today's episode as well. You had the young ascending stars. You had the established players who were looking for a few reps for various reasons, and were playing this week on the calendar Plenty of them saw success as well, whether it was another dominant, let me emphasize that again, dominant performance from Iga Sviantek. I did a full rant on her on our last episode here on the Mini Break Podcast. That honestly is the extent you need to know from Warsaw. The world number one looked like the world number one winning a title on home soil. Whether it was Alex Zverev, who obviously the biggest story surrounding Zverev right now is the fact that he does face a second credible. Allegation of assault, and while he earns the right of presumption of innocence until proven guilty, and if the ATP tour is going to continue to allow him to play, then we have to acknowledge that the healthier Alex Zverev becomes, the more he looks like the top 10 player he has been throughout the course of his career. That was certainly the case over the past week in Hamburg. And look, the draw really opened up for Zverev, but he took advantage of it. And as I alluded to last week, and not to get too far ahead of myself, I think the takeaway coming out of Hamburg is I will be more surprised than not if Zverev is going to be continued to allow to, uh, if they're going to continue to allow Alex Zverev to play, excuse me, He looks like a top 10 player again. I can explain what I mean on today's show as we look at that action in Hamburg, Taylor Fritz in Atlanta, the rise of the players with college tennis ties. It's becoming mainstream, folks. We'll get into all of that here on today's show as, again, we recap another jam-packed, chaotic weekend in the pro tennis world. Of course, the reason we are able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And in case you're looking for what's happening on In, excuse me, other levels of the tennis world, I would point all of you to our Great Shot podcast feed every Monday. Damian Kustiak, Bobro, recap all the action happening at the challenger level every Tuesday. John J. Parsons and I offer you a look at every player with college tennis ties. How have they performed over the past week? On the Pro Tour. We have all of that content, some really fun plans for the Great Shot Podcast this week as well. So make sure if you aren't already, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Do that with the Cracked Interviews Podcast feed as well. Do it with the Breakpoint Show, all of our shows here at Crack Rackets, just to make sure you don't miss out on anything happening in the tennis world. Of course, a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support of this podcast. Look, it's quickly turning towards August, and before you know it, it'll be September. You'll either be back in school or maybe where you live, the weather just won't be as delightful as it is right now. The point is, Now's your time to squeeze in some personal time out on court, some time to work on your tennis game. You don't want to be out there in the wrong gear. You want to make sure you have the right racket. You have the right shoes. You want to be comfortable in the right clothing as well. You can find all of those things at the best prices, the latest gear available with our friends at Tennis Point. Go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15 at checkout to let them know we sent you there, tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15. All right, where to begin? I would say probably the ATP 5 I mean, I would say, I suppose I get to pick. I'm starting in Hamburg. All right, everyone, we'll start with the ATP WTA action because I think that was the perfect nexus of sort of every storyline we were looking for as tennis fans. You saw shades of it in these two Hamburg events. Look, let's start on the men's side. And again, Alex Virov faces credible allegations of assault in his home country of Germany. It's his former girlfriend whom he had a child with, who I believe these accusations came back in 2021. They're now formally going through the German police and court proceedings. Alex has pleaded not guilty. And again, the presumption of innocence certainly belongs to him. And that doesn't mean, though, that it's not uncomfortable for us as tennis fans to watch him play, particularly those who are aware of those allegations to watch so many people receive him so positively to just see, again, social media graphics go out celebrating his victory. It doesn't feel like now is the appropriate time to be celebrating anything Alex Virov is doing, at least amplifying it that much more. That said, of course, again, if the tour is going to continue to allow him to play, There is not a doubt in my mind that Alex Zverev will end this 2023 season back inside the top 10. You look for Zverev now in winning this title in Hamburg. It's his 20th title of his career, I believe, according to my friend uh, at Anna K underscore Forever or Oleg. I apologize for not knowing the actual person behind what is one of my favorite Twitter accounts. They uh, Oleg tweeted out a graphic earlier today listing the total number of players who have won 20 plus titles since 1970, it's a list of 20 players. That's the entire list. And obviously, a lot of the names are names you would expect. And in fact, we can list them quickly. This is the list of 20 Alex Virov is now a part of. Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Sampras, Agassi, Murray, Chang, Ronick, Hewitt, Ferrer, Kofilnikov, Courier, Ivanisevic, Del Potro, Davidenko, Querton, Medvedev, Moya, Chilich, Zverev. I would say, of that list, of those 20, Ferrer is always an interesting argument as it relates to the Hall of Fame. I think it's very unlikely that Nikolai Davidanko ends up in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, again, Medvedev's getting in when his career is done. Chilich will be a fascinating test case. Three major finals, one major title, 20 titles to his name. And again, he is the one guy of his generation who breaks through. You feel like there might be a place for him in the Hall of Fame on that argument alone. But man, Zero's done everything but the slam, right? He's racked up every other accolade. And in winning this title in Hamburg, his first title since, obviously injuring his ankle at the French Open last season. You could see how much this one meant to him. You could see what it meant for him to win this tournament, in particular in Germany, uh, his home country now. Look, he didn't drop a set the entire week, you know. 0 and three over Molchan, three and five over Martyr, three and four over Van Asha, two and four over Arthur Fee, five and three in the final over Laszlo Jura. You look in those total in those five matches, he was broken a grand total of three times. I've said it before, I said it again. If you are shout out to now Philadelphia seventy sixers GM Daryl Morey, if you were to make the Daryl Morey I forget who the Oakland A's GM was who came up with uh, who the book Moneyball was written about. But wow, Alec, I used to know that off the top of my head. Who is Moneyball about? Come on, you're better than that. We'll go to our IT people. Billy Bean, duh, shout out to Google. The Billy Bean, James, uh, excuse me, Daryl Morey model of analytical player who just dominates the numbers and can do a little bit of everything and you feel like would be built in a lab. To some extent, that is Alex Virov. six foot six. But he moves as well as anyone out there. Leverages his length so well. Again, has the strength of someone who's six foot six. So when he is in compromised position, twelve feet behind the baseline, somehow he finds an ability to muster that backhand passing shot down the line, and it can pass just about everyone. Of course, he's also six six, and yes, he will get tentative serving out sets. And yes, you know five four or four five. If he's serving, he is as likely to get broken as anyone out there. But man, when he is front running. And that first serve is landing. There's all the things he can do on the court to extend rallies, to out physical you, Um, and then he's six foot six and can cannon one twenty eight serves up the tee, can beat you with the slice wide to open up the first forehand, or more importantly, the first cross court backhand for himself on the deuce. You know, again, how well he hits the slice tee on that ad side or jams you into the body. He can hit all the spots. He found the juror forehand whenever he needed to. And again, he was up a break in that second set. Credit to Laszlo Juro. Gets the break right back immediately. Um, but then Zverev breaks to close out the match. Or Zverev breaks 4-5-3 right away, right back. And then Zverev does indeed close out the match. I mean, again, Fee had a bad day at the office in the semifinals. You could just tell, particularly the first set. The moment, the scene, trying to match his level from the quarterfinal against Kasparud where Arthur Fee, I mean the four forehand winners he hit to close out the quarterfinal and break Kasparud in that 6-4 set were a joke. The inside-in one, an absolute joke. And so I want to get to him in a second. But look, you look for Sasha Zverev, back up to 16 in the live rankings with this result. He's 10th in the points race right now, 35 points behind Alec uh, behind Taylor Fritz. Let's see, 280, 215 points behind Kasparud, who's in eighth. And then, actually, there's a pretty big jump, 760 points between Zverev and Runa in seventh. But remember, Cincinnati, Canada, U.S. Open, Paris, and those are just the Masters 1,000s or slams in terms of points still available. So, what, that's up to 5,000 points still available on the board for all of these top dogs. And, you know, again, Zverev just won his 20th title turned 26 years old in April. He's ostensibly still smack dab in the prime of his career and certainly looked like it prior to destroying his ankle at the French Open last season. Now, again, these assault allegations absolutely hang over everything he does and the ATP's unwillingness to address them, at least formally, at all, put any sort of procedure in place, it's immensely frustrating. As a tennis fan, it's immensely frustrating, not just as a tennis fan, as a human being. If they're going to let Zverev play, it's my job to tell you how I think he can perform on the court. And as long as he is going to be allowed on the court, he is, you know, again, just how well he moved in that final. He looked healthy. He looked back. And whenever Alex Zverev has been healthy, he has been one of the eight best players in the world. I don't think 2023 will offer us any sort of different storyline so again Zverev title in Hamburg 20th 20th guy to do that since 1970 I read the list of names earlier I don't think Laszlo Jura is the next biggest story in terms of how it relates to this event although shout out to Laszlo always a rock solid on the clay courts and did really well to knock out Zhang Zizhen three and two in the semis you gotta give a shout out to Zhang Zizhen. again. Was under 500 on the year entering this event in Hamburg. Now in reaching this event, 21 and 22 overall. But where has this success come? Quarterfinals Madrid Masters, semifinals now at a 500 level event in Hamburg. Third round of Roland Garros, quarterfinals in Eastbourne. Yes, there were some losses mixed in. There were, you know, start of the year he lost five of his first six. Since then, he's what? 20 and 17 overall and you do that you're going to sustain your spot in the rankings whatever status quo level you know that status quo for whatever level you're at and for him that level is the ATP and you look for Zhang Jen now 26 years old is 53 in the live rankings as a result of the semifinal. I don't know where else you'd want to be as a veteran making money cash and checks you get to play whatever event you'd like that's all you can ask for and so again The biggest thing, did he win? Is it the two-thirds rule where he's winning 66% of his matches and continuing to ascend the rankings rapidly? No. But he is 20-17 and since starting the season, well, 1-5 overall in the year. And again, the word consolidation comes to mind. He's consolidated his spot. I've said it before. Man is jacked. Holds his ground so well on these clay courts. Can beat you to the spot. The technique is pure. I don't think he's elite at anything. He's solid, solid everywhere. A little stiff, but solid everywhere. That's a top 60 player. That's a guy who, again, will make a good living throughout the prime of his career. And so, again, that's a semifinals is notable, but it shouldn't be shocking given the level he's shown. I mean, last, uh, you know, Jura beats Musetti five and three in the quarters. I went in a big Musetti rant last time, so you can go listen to that, why I think he's maybe the most underrated player inside the top 20 right now. That was on... Friday or Thursday show, I forget what day it was. Uh, By the way, we had some technical difficulties over the weekend. There were podcasts recorded, but I don't know what happened to my microphone. So I apologize. Microphone fixed. We're ready to rock and roll throughout the course of this week. Let's quickly offer some final thoughts on Fee, on Van Asha, because again, the French resurgence, and by the way, the most impressive French resurgence this year might not be Fee or Van Asha, It might be Hugo Umbert, who was as low as 157 in the world a year ago and is now back into the top 40. Really hard to jump 110 ranking spots, particularly from that range, the challenger slam quali range, all the way back into the top 40 in the thick of the mix. It's a credit to Hugo Humbert, who we'll talk about in a moment, but again, I know I've been hyping them up. Perhaps now you'll believe me now that you've all seen it in, a, in on a bigger stage. The French Renaissance is real. I mean, Arthur Fee is someone to get really excited about. It's not just the gumption he displayed in breaking Kasperud with four, hand, four forehand winners to, con, uh, to see, secure the victory, 6-love, six 6-4. Six It's the weapons. It's the movement. It's the ability to shape a point. It's the explosiveness of that forehand, his willingness to move forward behind it, how well he slides around the court. I mean, this is a guy who's 31 and 14 overall this season, who, again, won a title in Lyon earlier this year, 18 years old. And, you know, since then, now semifinals here in Hamburg. You look at he qualified for the Rome Masters event. One around there. Semifinals, indoor hard courts, Montpellier, Marseille earlier this year. Qualified in Den Bosch. Lost to Manorino first round. No shame in that loss. Lost first round to Davidovich Fokina at Wimbledon. But again, like, I don't see any shame in either of those losses. I, I don't. Yeah, was it a great grass court season? No, but he's 18 years old. And, you know, again, this is a guy who. Started his year winning nine straight matches, winning a challenger title, and making the final of another one a couple of weeks later. Again, semifinals at two ATP Tour-level events, indoor hard courts, semifinals at both. Wins a title, 250 on clay the week before the French Open. Now, semifinals is 500 in Hamburg, gets his first top 10 victory over Kasper Ruud. He's holding 81.7% of the time this year breaking 25.1% of the time. That hold percentage would be just below top 25, so he wouldn't be a top 25 club guy. And for those of you wondering, the average hold percentage right now of a top 50 player, 82.3%. But again, for an 18-year-old to hold 81.7% of the time, he's not that far off from where he needs to be. And again, that 25.1% break percentage, that would be a top 20 number amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour. The biggest thing for Arthur Fee... Fourth in the next gen race. You look in the live rankings, he is now a top 50 player. So I'll get to equate him, and I'll be able to tell you the exact spot via hold percentage as soon as that tennis abstract stats leaderboard updates tomorrow. Serve, here's the thing. He has weapons of his own, serve, forehand, ability to dictate. Again, this is a guy who, against Kasparud on clay courts, faced one break point, did not get broken. Two time French Open finalists. I know Kasparud wasn't at his best in the match, but. I don't care. You do that. You have our attention. You have a real serve. You have a real first forehand. I like how well he hits the backhand. Overextends, you know, again, he got a little slap happy against the physicality of Zverev. He just, it's so hard to hit through Zverev when he's this fit, but his weapons are real. The backhand's real. I don't see a a clear deficiency, and you feel like for Arthur Fee, the thing you have to teach him is to slow down, which... As a coach or knowing coaches like I do, that's, that's the biggest ber- uh, blessing is you don't have to teach him. You don't have to try and coax the athleticism, coax the, the speed, the weapons out of them. No, those are God-given for Arthur Fee. It's just about, hey, let's refine things on the margins. Let's maybe instead of going for that first forehand winner, make it the fourth forehand in the rally because no one's going to hit through you, Arthur. You move too well. He's awesome he's really freaking good and again the construction is there in the service games like his ability to find plus 1 forehands or more importantly his ability to assert himself in those service games that skill set is already there you see the ability to overwhelm on the on the return of serve it's just again it's it's picking the spots better as every pro needs to as they pro- the mistakes Arthur Fee makes are the mistakes of an 18 year old And that is the highest compliment I can offer him is like, that's the only thing is he needs to turn 19. He needs to turn 20, get two more years of repetitions against tour level competition. By that time, again, top 20, top 15, it's the real deal. I'm a little more hesitant with Von Asha. It's just a little harder for Von Asha to generate pace, particularly on that forehand wing, because the back swing is a little bit funky, I mean, boy, does he, it's a big loop. It's a big you know, circle, I guess. My coach always called that the loop to get under the ball. On the backhand side, Van Asha's loop is very accentuated. Guy can scoot, though. Like, talk about a mover. And I think he absorbs, redirects extraordinarily well. He has that skill of just hitting the ball where you're not, even if it's not overwhelming pace. The serve was the weapon I didn't expect out of Van Asha. Not only does he hit his spots well, he can dial it up. 120, 125, I was having this conversation with Tennis Channel commentator, second serve host, former Cal standout, my dear friend, Jeff G. Chisiver. Von Asha can hit... like I didn't know we had 120... pop. We both noticed it. That was... I had been thinking it as we had watched his match throughout the course of the day. I walked in and saw Chiz there in the booth, and it was in a changeover. He goes, yo, did did you know Von Asha had this sort of pace? And I was like, that was my... I, I was coming in to have that conversation with you. And so... Van Asche, I don't think he's ever going to be a top 15 guy. I think he can stay in the top 50 for a while with that physicality, which should translate across surfaces. I need to see how his forehand holds up, though, on, on the slightly quicker hard courts. I ain't got no worries about Arthur Fee. I think he's going to be around for a long time. Again, the biggest winners of Hamburg. Who's coming out with a career high? You've got Daniel Eltmeyer, new career high of 51 for the German. Arthur Fee, 47. New career high for the 19-year-old. against Virev back up to 10 in the points race. Where's Van Asha sitting? He's at a new career high, number 68 in the live rankings as well. I already talked to you about Zheng Jen. Uh, He's two off of his career high rankings. Those are your biggest winners. Those are my thoughts on the men's side of Hamburg, and I felt like I didn't spend a ton of time talking about that last week, so I wanted to play a little bit of catch-up for all of you listeners here today. On the women's side of things, look, I did a big Noha Noma Okugwe segment last week, but just to put a final bow on it, obviously Noma Akugwe exceptional in her straight set victory in the semifinals over Diana Schneider 3-3 three and three, and for the wild card to not only reach her first tour-level quarterfinal, first tour-level semifinal, but first tour-level final at this event it speaks to how special the 19-year-old is. I mean, her ability to scoot around the court, the heaviness of her ball, I love how well she gets outside the ball to generate not just the topspin. Boy, does her ball whip through the court. But get outside the ball to generate angle. And just, you know, it feels like you can feel it in the follow-through. That said, her ball may explode off of the court. It doesn't explode through the court. You can see the heaviness on these clay court. You can see that ball really whip in the air. But, again, as well as she hit her spots... She didn't serve well enough, making only 47% of her first serves, and it just felt like Aranxa Roos, who, again, I went on a long rant on Thursday with. She's just ready, physically, for any battle that's in front of her. And as I mentioned, for Roos, 32 years old for her to get her first tour-level title. For her now, 44-12 and overall in the year. She's up to a new career high, obviously, in the live rankings with this new, uh, with this title of number 42. I mean, she just... Look, you feel like against elite pace for Aranxarous, that forehand, particularly on a quicker surface, could be a little bit of trouble for her. That's why, you know, again, she's been playing on the clay courts since the start of March and rocking and rolling ever since. She has, what, four of her 12 losses this year came on hard courts, but she's only played a grand total of 12 matches on hard courts this season. So, again, she's 36-8 and on clay courts, 8-4. and on hard courts here this year. And again, that's indicative of that forehand is a little bit bigger. Pressured by Pace. You feel like particularly a good first serve on a hard court. I don't know how she does anything, but Chip block back that return of serve on that forehand wing. And you know, on the clay court, it just felt like the the Noma Noha-Kugwe ball popped up perfectly into her strike zone. And look, Roos was on fire in set number one. Set number two got extraordinarily close, and that's a credit to Noma Noha-Kugwe, who... I don't know what plan A is yet for her. I don't know how she's going to win points easily for herself, but man, plan B, plan C, plan D, the ability to improvise, the ability to just kind of take away what you want to do best by throwing that high and heavy ball at you, by, again, mixing in the short angle, by beating you to the spot, taking that ball down the line. She can do a little bit of everything. I don't know what the overwhelming weapons are to make life easy for herself yet, other than the relentlessness, the athleticism, the creativity. I mean, you look for Nomanoha Akugui, she's up to number 142 in the live rankings. Not the worst place to be for the 19-year-old. Uh, again, whether it's her—what a week. Uh, first final. It's the sort of week on home soil. It's the sort of week you always remember. It's a credit to Diana Schneider, by the way, as well. Dai Schneider, her first career semifinal. She's up to a new career high, number 86, considering the 18-year-old just played Four months of college tennis. You take a four month sabbatical, you're still sitting at number 86 in the world. The lefties' weapons are just real. And again, the thing she needs to work on most is the serve. And that's the thing every young player needs to work on most. So again, Hamburg on the women's side, they were a day ahead. We talked about them. I would say, given Noma Noha, Kugwe, Diana Schneider, their rise, if you want to hear more about those two, check out last Thursday's podcast. But Man, Aranxa Roos is the real deal, and given all the ITF success she's had to get back into the, uh, to get into the top 50 for the first time, it's kind of like what Beatrice Haddad Maya did now, obviously for vastly different reasons, but it just shows you winning breeds winning, breeds confidence, and there's no doubt Aranxa Roos has much of that coming off of Hamburg. She wins her first career title. Uh, it's a credit to, again, the relentlessness of the 32-year-old. But with that said, let's take it back to the ATP side of things. Let's go to Atlanta now. I don't have much to add about Taylor Fritz's run to his title. I mean, look, for Fritz, given uh the draw he played, Wooie Bing, Nishikori, JJ Wolf, Alex Vukic, if you want to be a top 10 player in the world, you got to beat all those guys. And to Taylor Fritz's credit, he dropped just one set on his way to the title. He was broken once once this week in Atlanta. That's a fantastic week for Taylor Fritz, who, you know, now gets the hold percentage back up to 87.1% for the season. You look for Fritz now overall here in 2023. He improves his record 38-16, 70%. You're going to continue to ascend the rankings when you're winning more than two-thirds of your matches. Third title for him of the season, if you count United Cup, now his two ATP tour-level event titles have both been 250s, but 2 now in finals here this year. He's made 10 quarterfinals on the season, he's 7-3 and three in those quarterfinals, three of them at Masters events, you know, the rest of them coming at uh, 250s or 500s, but look, how do you sustain a top 10 ranking despite losing second round Wimbledon, third round Roland Garros, and first round at, in Australia, excuse me, second round in Australia, you go the the hard way. You play fifty four matches before we even hit August on the calendar and you have a lot of success. You make ten quarterfinals throughout the the course of those events as well. I mean, you look for Taylor Fritz in terms of first round matches. So he's played seventeen different events this season at the tour level. You make ten quarterfinals in seventeen events, you're gonna be ninth in the points race, as Taylor Fritz is and Look, the break percentage has dipped a little bit for him this season, so he's not quite a top-25 club member, but he's also now top-10 in hold percentage. And again, against Alex Vukic, not only was it the kick serve wide to the backhand, the hard slider into his backhand on the deuce side, and then again keeping him honest by serving out wide to the forehand, opening up so much court with that serve to the forehand that his first play to the Vukic backhand I mean, again, Fritz was not broken. Didn't face a break point in the final against Vukic. Now, credit to Vukic, who fought off two match points of his own. An incredible inside-out forehand at 30-40 in his 5-6 service game to fight off the second match point. The first one, just an incredibly physical rally. Man, the serve, forehand, of Vukic were good. But Fritz was just better at everything. He was better at everything against J.J. Wolf. He was not only better, but fitter against Nishikori, and by the way, Fritz is, I continue to say it, I remember 17-year-old Fritz, I remember 19-year-old Fritz, he was slow, I still wouldn't ever accuse him of being fast, but he is an athlete out there. Again, those hips are a little looser than they once were. That first step a little more powerful than it once was. And that's all he needed to do is improve on the margins and be good enough as a mover. Because again, few, if any, strike the ball as well as Taylor Fritz. Well-deserved title. Uh, Again, you look for him now overall in his career at the tour level. Fritz winning title number, what, six of his career Uh, interesting. Taylor Fritz has won his last five tour-level finals. Indian Wells, Eastbourne, Tokyo, Delray Beach, now Atlanta. I've always thought he's been clutch. He's always been able to find the big serves at the big moment. He's always had that it factor about him, and I think you saw that this week, but man, again, credit to the college guys. Half of the quarterfinals, Eubanks, Vukic, JJ, uh, Kopfer, All guys with college tennis ties. You look for Alex Vukic, obviously first tour level semifinal and first tour level finals of his career this week with the result, the former Illini All-American, 27 years old, up to a new career high, number 62 in the live rankings. This is a guy who built his way up through a lot of challenger success. He's played 96 matches. He is 60 and 36, 96 matches in his last 52 weeks. That is ridiculous, and you look for him at the challenger level during that time, he's made uh, the finals of five different challengers, one challenger title to his name, nine different challenger quarters, of course now he can leverage that success into some ATP level success, where of course, what has he done this year, he's qualified in Australia, qualified for Indian Wells, qualified for Miami, qualified for Houston, now didn't win first round matches at any of those events, but qualified and wins a match at Eastbourne. Gets in on his ranking and wins a first-round match at Wimbledon. Now in on his ranking, into the final in Atlanta. Look, he left college at the end of the 2018 season, which is a really good Illinois team I talked about on last week's GSP with John Parsons. Took him five years, but he's into the top 75. And he's going to get to to rack up at least, what, four now main draw? You know, U.S. Open, Australian Open, French Open next year. Pry doesn't have to worry. He'll be in the main draw of all those events. That's when, you know, after that, things maybe start to get a little bit trickier. But look, Alex Vukic has just put himself in position. This guy went to the University of Illinois. Indoor hardcourt tennis is where he should play his best. That serve, that forehand, come on now. Now slow, high-bouncing hardcourt where he has a little more time to move again. He's also been excellent on those. But it's a guy who played on indoor hardcourts in Champaign for five months for four years. 10 months for four years, considering he's now top 75, he'll get to play the Antwerps, all those late indoor hardcourt December, excuse me, October, November events. You know Alex Vukic is going to be playing them, and he's going to get into all of them now as well. He's just where he needs to be. And again, every week, it's someone new from the college tennis world. This week, it's Vukic. I'm not exactly counting Alex Mickelson, since he never played college tennis, but Chris Eubanks casually into another ATP quarterfinal this week in Atlanta. Obviously, Kofor did the same. It feels like every week we're talking about Emma Navarro in another WTA final. Peyton Stearns reaching a WTA final earlier this year in South America. Maybe now people will believe me when I say college tennis is a pathway to the pros and you see so many of these players thrive at the collegiate level. It's what makes the level so fun because not only do you have this abundance of talent, but you have the team atmosphere as well. Again, Alex Vukic's success is just real. You play 96 matches over the course of 52 weeks. You hold, uh, serve 83.3% of the time. I don't care what level it is. You have my attention. Again, that would be a top 25 number amongst top 50 players. Alex Vukic up to a new career high, number 62 in the live rankings in reaching his first final. Shout out to JJ Wolf. Casual semifinal. And again, much like Zheng Zhijian, you talk about consolidation in the top 50. JJ Wolf is twenty one and seven overall in the year. Now he lost four or five in a stretch from, you know, Delray through Miami, an outdoor hardcourt stretch where you would have expected him to thrive. But third round Rome Masters, quarterfinals Houston, quarterfinals Eastbourne, wins a match at Wimbledon, semifinals now in Atlanta, twenty one and seventeen overall on the year, consolidation for J.J. Wolf holds firm at 45 in the live rankings. And, you know, that's even given the fact that in those live rankings, his DC points from last year where he made the quarterfinals, they've fallen off of his resume. Now, he made third-round U.S. Open. He made the finals of Florence in the end of last season. He still has some serious points to defend. But he has put himself in a position to be able to defend those points. Still top 50, still gets to set his schedule accordingly the remainder of the year, It's a big semifinal for JJ to get his hardcourt summer started. A shout-out to him. And then again, I mentioned this earlier. Hugo Umber, 157 in the world in July of last year, 36 in the live rankings as of Sunday, July 30th, a.k.a. today. He has been awesome. Semis last week in Newport as well. He's back up to, you know, again, the lefty, big first serve, big first forehand, snapping away. Really should have won the match against Alex Vukic, but shout-out to Vuki man, for keeping on fighting. I mean, beat Demon 6-3 and three the night before. He's back. And again, he, he did it the hard way. This is a guy who made, you know, again, has made four challenger finals in the last 52 weeks, three challenger titles to his name. Shout-out to Luka Vanash, uh, Excuse me, to Ugo Ember, who hasn't played 96 matches in his last 52 weeks, but 75 matches ain't nothing to uh to bat your eye at either. So again, shout out to all the action from Atlanta. That's your update from there. Do umag a little bit more quickly. Uh, shout out to Alexi Popperin, second title of his career, the Aussie 676364 over Stan Wawrinka in the final. The serve, the forehand, it's relentless. You know exactly what Alexi Popperin's going to do every point and yet when he executes well, it's just going to keep him in the match, and I do think he's gotten more physical. I do think his backhand's gotten better, but it's serve. It's first forehand. It's just a shorter, skinnier Nicolas Yari. That's how I would describe Alexi Popperin, a shorter, skinnier Nicholas Yari, but both of them, you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to hit the big first serve. They're going to look to hit the forehand from any position of the court. Popperin a little bit more reluctant to perhaps move forward, but again, he's not like, he's not six 6'6 like Jari, and And skinny, but can scoot, like, it's a good mover, again, he had a stretch where he lost 7 of 9 matches from the end of Rome, where he made the round of 16, through the start this week of Umag, but you look for him now, 36 and 29 in his last 52 weeks, 30 and 20 here this season, you win your first title, Popper, in now up to a new career high, number 57, in the live rankings, and again, that served that forehand combination. It's top 20 good when he's firing on all cylinders. He can just be a little bit streaky, but confidence is the name of the game. And now Alexi Popperin's got a little bit more confidence. As for the Stanimal, beat Sanego carbeas Baena this week in championship week, and he had no business winning the first set. Popperin was up a break for the majority of it, played a loose service game. Stan got a couple of courts to go his way, physically Again, Stan just kinda ran out of juice at the end of the match, but again, makes the final. I thought he fought his Derriere off. I thought it was an impressive performance for Stan. I thought he was striking the ball well. Just you know, again, as that match got past the two hour mark, closer to two thirty, it just felt like Popperin had the edge. And so again, Popperin. His for uh, second title of his career, first on clay courts. He's two and two in his career in ATP Tour level quarterfinals. Each time he's won that quarterfinal match, he's gone on to win the title. Worth noting, he gets hot, and the serve, the forehand, when they fire. They can absolutely fire Popperin, his first title. Shout out to the Italians, Matteo Arinaldi, the 21-year-old, 22-year-old, excuse me, into his first career tour-level semifinal with the result, Arnaldi up to a new career-high number 65 in the live rankings. He's pretty good at everything, but I owe you a more detailed scu- scout on him. I like Dino Prismich a lot, who obviously reaches his first quarterfinal, the 17-year-old Croatian, 2023 French Open boys' singles champion. It's Walmart Alcaraz, And I mean that in the most affectionate way possible. Has the chops, has the weaponry, can move very well for a 17-year-old. Loves to hit the big forehand. But it's just, I mean, it's not Alcaraz. Like, again, there are errors. And he's not breathtakingly athletic. And the forehand's not a bazooka. It's still very, very good. Again, I'm just trying to—I guess it's tough to compare anyone to Alcarez. I'm just saying this is what I see when I see the 17-year-old. There's a lot to like, and obviously, in reaching your first quarterfinal, he's obviously up to new career high, number 251 in the live rankings, which should get him into slam qualifying. Moving forward, I like the weapons. I love how he competes. He has gumption. Like He was down a break the majority of the first set against Popper and broke back for 5-all, takes a 6-5 lead, ultimately drops the breaker, gets broken right out of the gates in set number 2, but breaks back. The serve let him down. uh, I think it was 9 double faults on the day. It was just a little sloppy, but I like how he constructs points again. I like how relentless he is. I love his forehand on this clay cord. Keep your eye on Dino Prismich, which would be my final observation from Umag. That said, final two events I want to talk about, obviously, both on the WTA side. You look at the result in Lausanne. Is Elisabetta Cocciaretto the least discussed, most underrated player currently sitting inside the WTA top 50? Maybe 22 years old, the Italian now up to a new career high, number 30 in the live rankings. She has weapons. And look, is she the most fleet of foot? No, I would not accuse her of being the most fleet of foot. But 24 and 14 overall in the year. Finals in Hobart, quarters in Merida, quarters in Monterey. Now title here in Lausanne, third round Roland Garros, third round Wimbledon. She's done it on every surface. Those weapons translate. And the big thing is she has gotten a lot better as a mover. Like, I don't think the movement's an issue for her anymore. She's always had the weapons. She was so disciplined in grinding down Anna Bondar in in three and a half hours. Comes out the next day, grinds down Clara Burrell in two hours, 43 minutes. Again, just like, as she's shocked, gotten into her 20s, Coach is just strong. She has weapons. She, I'm just impressed. And the serve's not the biggest, and it's very attackable. And I actually really liked what I saw from the 22-year-old Clara Burrell as well. How well, how fluid she is as an athlete, her ability to do a little bit of everything, even if she doesn't have elite pace. But man, you just listen to the match times this week for Cocciaretto: two hours twenty minutes, two hours thirty-six minutes, a five and three hour thirty-five minute against Avanesian, three and a half hours against Anna Bondar, two hours forty-three minutes against Clara Burel. Talk about earning it for Elisabetta Cocciaretto's second career tour level title of her career, second tour level title of her career. Let's try that sentence in English again. Again, I really like how fluid Burel is. It would not shock me to see Clara Burel make a push here. And Clara Burel in reaching this final now, the 22-year-old up to a new career high, number 61. So it's not just the French men, the French women making a push this week as well. Did I see a ton? Again, yes, I did. I forgot that that was the semifinal match. Again, Burel was just the better athlete then Diane Perry could do more things to absorb, redirect that first forehand of Perry, find the backhand well enough, and be disciplined enough to withstand the slice, the physicality, be honest, and take her down the line. I really like the action in Los Angeles. I know I'm only spending two minutes on it here, but if you're going to go watch any of the replays of the WTA Tour Level Finals, go watch Coach versus vs. Burel, because that match was extraordinarily physical and extraordinarily enjoyable as well. And those are two players. Again, Cochiretto's 22 years old. She's 30 in the live rankings. We don't talk enough about Elisabetta See, uh, Shout out to we don't talk enough alert, but seriously, she was excellent this weekend, as was Clara Burell. And again, both of them have just positioned themselves so well now for this home stretch down the season. Uh, again, Burell, your champion, uh, excuse me, Cochiretto, your champion over Clara Burell. As for Warsaw, look, with all due respect to Vick Meyer, Siegmund, Tatiana Maria, I would just point all of you go listen to Thursday's opening where I did a full 10-minute monologue on why we're not appreciating Iga Fiantek enough, how she truly is a once in a generational player, how she has elevated herself into you drop whatever it is you're doing or you don't drop whatever it is you're doing, but you always make time to watch Ego when she's on court because it's she's that special of a talent and You know, again, now you look for Iga Sviantek and winning this title. I believe it came out that uh, for Sviantek, she's the eighth player. Shout out to Opta's eighth player to reach the milestone of 100 matches at the number one world ranking since published in 75, joining a list of Everett, Navratilova, Grass, Salas, Hingis, Enin, Serena. She's 22 years old. She's already on a list with Everett, Everett, Lovagraph, Celis, Hingis, and in Serena. She's 87 and 13 after her first 100 matches as the number one player in the world. The exact same record of the last player able to reach the mark of 100 WTA matches as number one, Serena Williams. I got in a lot of trouble. Once upon a time, when I tweeted out that I thought Iga was actually on the pathway to being the next Serena Williams, and justifiably so, because to compare anyone to Serena is just uncouth, unkosher, and wrong. And I get that. But statistically, statistically, Iga is special. That's not comparing her to Serena Williams, although eighty-seven and thirteen through their first one hundred as world number one. Just saying. I'm not comparing the two because it's a different game style. It's it's a different era. Everything is different. But Ega is special. She's once in a generation. And again, enjoy it because she Owen won Lara Sigamund in an hour eight minutes. And it, Warsaw is her home country, so the I'm sure the Polish crowd was like, It was only an hour, but it's Ega who won, so we're fine that it was only an hour. But like you got 68 minutes on the clock, and usually at that point she's up a set and a break. And, you know, again, so make sure you, you scrap out that half hour of time whenever she's on the calendar, as good as it gets. Like Again, you know it when you see it, and with Iga Svantec, you absolutely know it. Appointment viewing, no doubt about it. But with that said, that's your look at everything that happened throughout, again, what was a chaotic week in the tennis world. Six events in the books. The best news is that the action going to continue to heat up. You look at what we have at the calendar this week. ATP 500 level event in Washington DC. We of course have a 250 in Prague as well on the women's side. On the men's side, you've got that ATP 500 in DC as well. You also here this week. Let's see. have the, oh, Kitzbühel 250. You've got the Los Cabos 250. I forgot about San Jose, a WTA 500. Is that this week? That cannot be the case. They can't have San Jose and DC at the same time. Yeah, that's an error by one of the apps I was looking at. D.C. Uh, San Jose off the list CC now on the list, but again, five events, just a casual five events for all of us tennis fans to enjoy, and I'm fortunate enough to be on the call for some of those matches. I will be back on T2, my shift, roughly 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., I believe, Eastern Time there's going to be second serve after that. I'm going to be hanging out on that show. Jeff Chisiver, Nick Monroe, Jan Michael Gamble. It's going to be a fun week here at Cracked Rackets, but most importantly, we'll get back to doing what we do best, offering you all updates on everything that happens in the tennis world. So you may remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Of course, the reason we're able to do all that is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a fuck of an editing job day in, day out, making all this content possible. A shout-out to him, a shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point Remember Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Ogroskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.